Hey guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. It is Friday, August 5th, and I know this because tomorrow is Saturday, August 6th, which is my 28th anniversary. Congrats. 28, thank you very much. Congrats on remembering. Yeah, for remembering. <laughs> I know. I know. that It's interesting because as I age and start to forget things, there are certain things I cannot forget. You know, I don't want to forget, so... Um, what was I saying? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tanya and I've been married 28 years tomorrow. That's good for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. And she doesn't age and I look like my grandfather. <laughs> so what the hell is going on with that? I don't that? think I know anybody 28 years. I, exactly. It's, it's pretty <laughs> impressive. I'm, I'm actually pretty impressed. Um, also, I just do want to say thanks to Jamie Lemberg and all the folks out at Hornady Manufacturing. Aaron and I went out there for a tour. Impressive. Earlier this week was awesome. Wasn't that it? That was fun. That was Are you fun? Are you a gun person, buddy? Am I what? Gun person? No, I am not. I'm not against him, but I'm not. I don't own any. Okay, because Hornady Manufacturing is an ammunition manufacturer out in Grand Island. They're one of my clients, and and hopefully they will be one of our clients. Sure. Uh, from a leadership standpoint, we've been talking about maybe doing some leadership stuff for them. But the facility is really amazing. Uh, great people. I think it's a good employer. It's family owned. It's uh, it's amazing that it's family owned still and. Uh, Still family-owned, yeah. yeah. One of the things that Jamie was telling us was that I think the city officials for a while were questioning the value of Hornady to the community. And so Jason, who I think is a friend of a friend of yours, Correct. the uh, the son of the owner, came up with an idea where they would – he actually is the largest purchaser of $2 bills in, like, the United States circulation. And so once a year, he will buy – what it was it a hundred thousand dollars worth of two dollar bills he gives every employee a hundred dollars worth of two dollar bills Gives every employee a thousand employees oh wow a hundred dollars worth of two dollar bills and then asks them to go out and pump them into the community oh so yeah. the community can see the impact that hornady is having on the community got it i right. thought that was brilliant that he instructs them to go out to dinner and yeah. pay, pay with the two dollar bills these two dollar bills to go out and buy something you get a bonus and i don't care what you do with your bonus but I want you to take these $2 bills brilliant. out there into the community. I will say, like, if I ever go valet my car, I will tip in $2 bills because they remember you. Really? They always remember you. And then when they come back, you get, like, special treatment. They love them. For that's, some reason, they love them. That's a great idea. So where do you get them? Well, you can get them from a bank. You can okay. ask for yeah. them. Yes. You would have to ask yeah. for them specifically. Well, that brings me to my guest. <laughs> <laughs> we have a very, very special guest today. Um we started this program three years ago, and it was intended to be um, kind of a tribute to mentors, okay, and um, electronic mentoring to people that may not have the opportunity to work directly with a mentor. You know, I mean, there are a lot of safety and health folks out there that are on their own, and so we thought this might be an opportunity to share some stuff with them, and so you are one of the reasons that this podcast exists, because Leanne Meyer, uh, formerly my boss and mentor, um, yeah, taught me a lot about this environmental safety and health stuff. And so 
It is great to have you on the program. So fun to be here. <laughs> and um, you are driving, so you were just going to be in town for literally a few hours. Exactly. And so this has probably altered your schedule slightly. Barely. But, Barely, but it's But so to the benefit to of the listeners. <laughs> so um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thanks and for having me. I will stop talking here momentarily. But you were my boss at Terracon. So I was working for the DOD as an industrial hygienist out in Ohio. You had taken the job with Terracon Consultants as regulatory compliance manager. Yep, yep. And um, you called me and said, would you be willing to come back here? and Please come to Omaha. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think actually what happened was my mom asked you to call me and give me a job or something like that, right? <laughs> get me back in town. But... Um, Can you get him out of our basement, please? Exactly. Please do <laughs> employ him gainfully, please. But that was many, many years ago. You have done many, many things since then, um, and you have recently retired. Retired. Good for you. Believe it. It's amazing. Believe it. Yeah. But I mean, I'm, you you have had big jobs in the mm -hmm. EHS world. Uh, and scary jobs to me. I look at what you have been doing, and it terrifies me. <laughs> Can you can you talk a little bit about what you've done, where you've been? I mean, uh, sure, absolutely. Would you please? <clears throat> so I started out in training wise, you know, at school, college, um, as a petroleum engineer, and so every summer, and I will say this was probably the most challenging job of my life. Was every summer during petroleum engineering days, you go work in the oil fields, mm -hmm. right? And so this is back in the eighties when. They never worked with a female in their lives. These are roughnecks, roustabouts, you know, mm. drillers, welders, that kind of thing. So, and you show up on the job, and I show up on the job. And, you know, honestly, when they would hire me, they would contact the field and say, only you can only get in a truck with these people, not allowed to get in a truck with anybody else. I mean, that was scary in and of really? itself, right? So, they, it was mm -hmm. a different day, it was a different mm -hmm. day back then. And so I um, worked out in the oil fields and loved every second of it, learned more than I can even tell you. Not, not so much learning technical things and oil field things, but learning about life, just mm -hmm. learning life values. Mm -hmm. And um, it was amazing. It was scary. It was fun. It was everything. Um, learn how to kill rattlesnakes, you know, <laughs> learn how to handle tarantulas, all those kinds of fun yeah. things. Uh, but then anyway, then I went on to be a petroleum engineer, went back to school, got a master's into the environmental, well, it was radiation physics, which took me into environmental, which took me into safety. Mm -hmm. So then, yeah, so I've worked for in oil and gas, upstream, midstream, downstream, transmission um, to the final mile. So mm -hmm. it's been just so blessed to have seen it all <clears throat> through the environmental health and safety um, and the compliance, all regulatory compliance, really all through all those eyes, because, mm -hmm. you know, when I first came on, I worked for Amico for a while. And when I first came on to Amico, I think our environmental division had 20 people. And when I left for the five, entire company, Amico, yeah, when I left, there was over 500 people mm -hmm. in just environmental in a few years. So it just, you know, that was when the regulations were exploding and we realized we got to clean up some stuff we've done in the past and that whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been amazing journey and to be able to say that I'm finished is, you know, now I just want to go out and have some fun and mm -hmm. get some gigs as far as let me go teach people stuff and let me go right. talk to train, do, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you will be a great addition to our leadership training team. You know, we might just get away from safety entirely and just do leadership <laughs> training because I've surrounded myself with <clears throat> leadership experts. Um, 
but you said something interesting because it is a very male dominated field, petroleum engineering, yes, um, environmental engineering, EHS at yeah. a corporate level, certainly. Right. And when I went back and got my master's in radiation physics, it was all male and mm -hmm. yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it was, a um, it wasn't intentional to go into a male dominated field by any means, but that's where my skills were. That's kind of where my wheelhouse was. That's where my, how my brain works. Uh, but it was interesting and not just on my part, but on their part, like going out in the oil fields and having these men having to work with a female, which they've never had to, they didn't know how to act or behave. Their wives didn't know how to act or behave because they've never had to deal with that, you know? So it was in a small town, you know, not, mm -hmm. not any knock on small town, but it was just not, you know, a huge metropolis where you're involved male, female all the time. Right. right. So, um, I, I just learned to, handle myself and, and sensitivities and, you know, thick skin. I had to get thick skin mm, pretty quick, really quick. Um, that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, everybody freaked at the beginning and by the end of the summer, we were having a blast. Mm -hmm. Everybody was cool at everybody that point, or at cool. least, yeah. I mean, you still weren't getting in the truck with some of those guys. No, obviously. I still wasn't allowed. <laughs> right, right. I, I wasn't even allowed in the break room for an entire summer. They would go back to the break room because it was air conditioned. Mm -hmm. And I had my lunch out on a rock, sitting on a rock in the hot sun in West Texas. <laughs> right. Really? <laughs> was not allowed in the break room. And this was early 80s, probably mid yeah, 80s, mid -80s, perhaps, mid -80s. something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, do you find, is is the industry still like that? Or is it more, a lot more, I don't, I don't want to use the word still, integrated. That's really not the right word, but. It's still male dominated um, in most areas. It's, you know, I, I feel badly because in the oil and gas world, they are hiring females, but it's trying to get the females to want to work there, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't hold this against any corporation. They're not opposed to. They're not opposed to they it just want at all. In fact, people. they're looking for them. It's just not a field women are interested in. Well, just yeah, so many women don't mm -hmm. go into that field, so it's hard to find. Well, who them. really wants to work in an oil field anyway? <laughs> well, it's pretty fun. I mean, well, I mean, it can, I mean, it's it takes a certain, money, right? it takes or a it certain was. person to want to do that to begin with. But it's hard work. It it is very hard work, and it's yeah, and it's a lot of it was manual labor, and a lot of it is filthy, dirty. And, uh, yeah, you go home smelling like asphalt sometimes, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. So do you feel, and I don't want to get too off topic. I mean, do you feel you, you had made the comment, you don't fault those companies are trying, but do you feel it should be forced? Like, you know, you, you kind of feel like, okay, we gotta, we gotta make this happen. We gotta force people into these positions and it's kind of square peg round hole of feeling sometimes. Right. No, I, it's a great question and so controversial. And, I don't feel like a quota is a quota and we have to meet it no matter what. I feel like let's give the best person for that job the job. I, I really do. Um, what, I, what could change um, professional women's opinion of the field? Is it changing? Are there more people that are being It is changing. Drawn? But, you know, when, when these oil and gas companies put their numbers out, um, they're including human resources and accounting and – you know, IT and things where there are many females, sure. right? They're not including the engineers or the people who work. Well, they, I mean, they're including them, but it, it really, you know. Um, it's not reflective of that side of the business, yeah, truthfully. It kind of contaminates mm -hmm. the whole number when you look at it like that. Right. So I don't think that there's a lot out in the field. And I do still think that 
there's some harassment in the field just due to the people, but it's, it's so much less than it was just because now they're trained right now. Sure. It's like, okay, we have to do sexual they're harassment aware. training. We have to do this and we have to do that. And so they're aware and they don't want to get in trouble. And mm-hmm. now I think it's just much, you know, I think it's a lot more um, inviting to mm-hmm. females cool. than it was in the past. Good. So um, you are really smart. <laughs> I, I've, <laughs> I've always found you to be remarkably bright. And part of the reason I say that is because I started petroleum engineering at Tulsa too, and I dropped out and then you came down there and uh, I, I, you know, in the interest of total transparency, we are family um, to some degree. We share common family people in our Your lives. Your brother is married to my sister. Yes. 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 And so um, I was down at Tulsa. You are much younger than I, obviously for people watching on YouTube and um I started in petroleum engineering and then I was like, holy shit, this is really hard. And then you came down there and breezed through it. Well, like, I wouldn't you know, say breezed. Uh, <laughs> what else you got? You know, and um, uh, so and then later when you hired me, I have to admit, I was amazed. I, I knew you were bright. That's not what I'm implying. But but the quality that I found most interesting was and I will describe you in one word, fearless. You were fearless, and I don't know if that is something that you just have to project in order to survive in that world, or are you truly fearless? I mean, no project intimidated you. None of the people at Terracon intimidated you. You know, I used to walk by Hartwell, and he would say, morning, Don, and I'd go, oh, Mr. Hartwell, you know, and uh, you'd walk by and tell him I'm doing this and this, and if you don't like it, shut up, you know. I mean, where did that come from? So let me, okay, so from a, when I was a kid, from a um, stunts and motorcycle driving and um, skiing and that I was, I've been fearless from, for that reason. I don't know why I just didn't think I was mortal. I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. I just didn't get it. So I would try anything, but from a professional, I'll tell you the day it changed. And that was in the oil fields. Like I said, I learned a lot about myself, about the environment, about everything, uh, humanity. Day one, out in the oil fields, I get in the truck with the people I'm supposed to get in with. They don't know what to say to me or do, right? And we're in West Texas. They pull over. I don't know where we are. We've driven now 30 miles or 30 minutes, I should say, from the building we were in. I have no idea where we are. They pull over. You know, there's not even a tree. It's mesquite bush. It's, you know, sand mm-hmm. and dirt. And, and they kick me out of the truck. And they said, there's a rattlesnake over there. And you're not getting back in the truck till you kill it. And so I looked around and, you know, the three things that went through my head is, well, I could just start walking and try to find somewhere somehow and get home and, you know, forget this job. Or I could sit down and cry and see if they let me back in or I can just kill this stupid snake. Right. So let's Mm -hmm. just kill the snake. So I looked at him and he was pretty docile at the time. And so I just like grabbed, I looked in the back of the pickup. There's a shovel. I was like, that's got to help somehow. So I start throwing sand and rocks at this snake and he reared up. So I took the shovel and hit him over the head with it. And then I could go over there and cut off his head. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm sorry for any rattlesnake lovers, but (laughs) I had to get back in the truck. (laughs) So I took off his head and then I thought, okay, how do you show the, fearlessness. How do you show them not to do this to you again? Right. So I went over and I cut off his tails, you know, his little rattlers. Mm -hmm. And I went up to the window and I 
in the most stern voice I could possibly have. And I was shaking like you can't believe how badly I was shaking, but I didn't want to let him see it. I threw the rattlers up on the dash and I go, let me in this effing truck, you know? And they're like, oh, okay. So they let me in. And you were how old at the time? 18. <laughs> oh my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, I couldn't kill a rattlesnake today if it was laying there asleep. <laughs> That's 18 a and about 110 pounds. So this was this was like like a summer internship type thing. Yeah, this was between the uh, petroleum engineering between yeah. semesters. Between or something. Now, do you think they did that to everybody, or they just did it to it you? Females, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had a counterpart that came in from OSU or OU, I don't remember, um, and he wasn't working at the same company or at the same with the same gang that I was working with. But no, they, they didn't do anything like that to him. And it was it was every day having to prove myself every day, mm-hmm. you know, like driving home and seeing that they put a tarantula in my back of my car, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they wanted me out obviously, mm-hmm. but, um, and so, I mean, that experience forced you to, yeah. and then I just said, okay, you kind of reflect after that day, especially after an entire summer, you reflect and think, you know, if I can make it through that, I can do anything. I mean, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. once so you believe that where you are now at your age now, and I, that's not a plan. <laughs> right, right. That came out wrong. So you were 18, you were 24. When you reflect on that, do you, do you see that as I'm glad that happened or that was wholly unnecessary? I'm so happy I went through what I went through. I, I mean, I was harassed, don't get me wrong. And I had a lot of very scary moments, um, but I wouldn't change it. Sure. Which, I mean, that could have gone terribly sideways. Mm-hmm. Now, let me say <laughs> this. Part. There are people in my life that I know that I would never want that to happen to. Never. It would have ruined them. You know what I mean? Just for that. But but I just thought I, I've got to stand up and I've got to make it through this summer and I'm going to. And I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting when <clears throat> I, I'm always I always feel like, you, like you said, you can't blame the companies like you can't blame people for how they acted at a particular time. Cause they just didn't know any better. Sometimes like, uh, it's not right. But that was just, the they didn't know any better. Right? You didn't know any better. Yeah. No one taught them the right way, how to treat women. No one, you know, um, they didn't have the education or the training and, but you always look back and you can say, okay, was it, was it valid? Was it not valid? Should it have happened? You know, and, and whatnot. And you wouldn't do dare do anything like that today. No, um, it wasn't valid and it should not have happened. Should not have happened. I'm Agreed. just glad that, uh, but it made you who you are. It made it, it made mm-hmm. me who I am. Yeah, for sure. What, uh, maybe you can't, what job did you enjoy the most? I know you, you know, the Terracon gig, uh, we did that for about three years. Then you split and left me there. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I was, I was, where's Leanne? Oh, she moved on. What? <laughs> I got these air permits to write. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, which also terrified me. I still get calls. How did you come up with this number? Yeah. <laughs> like, don't call me because I'll right. never come up with it what again. Number? <laughs> yeah. So, but then you've had a number of other interesting jobs was one in particular. Yeah. And yes, even the definitely. one you just retired from this new, the yeah, startup and stuff. Startup was fun too. Interesting yeah. Stuff. I would say that the most fun was, um, when I, and it's probably what pulled me from Terracon actually. Um, I had a job that I moved to Denver for, and it was, it's a company called Mark West. And we, um, they were growing so fast. This is when shale, we start horizontal drilling. You can get natural gas out of shale like crazy. We're building gas plants fast. We built 18 gas plants in, in like, wait, we built 12 gas plants in 18 months. Mm. Like that's 
crazy. Getting air permits. I was going to say you were responsible for all that permitting. Everything EHS. And then you have people out there laying flow line and building these plants and the safety part of it, right? And they didn't have anybody running the environmental, the health and safety, the pipeline integrity. So I had also done pipeline Mm -hmm. integrity. Actually, this is right after Northern Natural Gas, is Mm -hmm. when I went over there. And um, so they brought me in as the VP of all of the compliance. So environmental health and safety, pipeline integrity, then they gave me measurement and then they gave me land, you know, so I had a huge group, but it was so fun because just the challenge of it, we didn't have great written procedures. So while you're trying to get out ahead of the construction, you're also trying to write the procedures and you're also trying to go back and clean up the mistakes, right? So I am building a team as fast as I can and we're working day and night, but it was so fun because it was so challenging and we were doing great things and getting people in line and, you know, working with project managers going, whoa, whoa, you can't do that. Like, let's back up, you know, at the same time you're going back and going, you got to take that pipe out because it's the wrong pipe for that population, you know? And so you're, it was just, it was so crazy and so chaotic but so rewarding because you knew you were doing, you knew you were getting them on track. It was like Mm -hmm. having a a complete empty canvas and you get to design it however you want to design it and knowing that going forward, this is the path they're going to take, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it was, that was the most fun. It just scares me just thinking about, (laughs) because I mean, you're talking about, you know, when we talk about health and safety things and maybe I get an OSHA citation or something like that, God forbid somebody gets hurt, seriously injured or whatever, and that's weighing on you, I'm sure. But the environmental regulations, you know, the construction permits and all of those things, the air permits, whatever, environmental impact studies and all of that stuff, those people go to jail for that that's stuff. That's exactly right. Terrifies Exactly me. right. And we did have Did you sleep incidents. during that uh, no, time at all? No, no, no. This is why I look like this. <laughs> oh, my God. It just sounds intense. It was very intense. It was very intense. And, you know, the Department of Justice came after us for something very minor that was ridiculous. I mean, you know, a year of my life of just defending. And then at the end, they had to drop it because they had nothing against us. Mm -hmm. We did everything right. They went through, I think, 13,000 emails of mine, you know, just every single document I've ever written. I mean, just looking for stuff. And I did, there was nothing incriminating, you Mm -hmm. know, drop it. And so they finally did. Mm -hmm. I, I remember that. In fact, when you guys were like shooting pigs through those lines. Or yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. We, we were. sent the SWAT team after your guys we out in the did. field or something ridiculous. Yeah, in ghillie suits. My poor guys that just pig lines, you know, that's all they do. They work in the oil fields and they pig these lines to clean them out and they open the hatch, they vent, and then they put a, line, a pig through and they go get it at the other end and cleans it out. And it's not a real pig, obviously. It's a cleaning. It's a pipeline <laughs> right. cleaning. Oh, you pig lovers. Yeah, yeah. It's a pipeline cleaning device. I'm, I'm envisioning what that looks like coming out. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and we had the SWAT team in ghillie suits coming out from behind the trees. And this, this was in Pennsylvania. And these poor guys, and they were just like getting on their cell phone saying, let me call my boss. No, you can't use your cell phone. And they're like, okay. So they so we all had to come in. Had them face down crazy. in like it, it zip tie cuffs and stuff. <laughs> I don't and, think it was that bad. Oh, it just it sounded horrible. Bad, it was horrible for those poor for yeah. those poor guys. It was just, it was and it was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So you made a comment before we started recording, or I think before we started recording. Maybe it'll maybe it'll be in there when I'm clearing my throat or something, but uh about leadership and about teaching leadership, promoting within and maybe promoting the wrong people. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, so for a short, 
minute, I left oil and gas and went into manufacturing. And I thought, you know, I know I need to see something other than oil and gas. And this is why I went to Chicago. So I went to Chicago and I worked for a manufacturing company and as, and and I, and I loved it. It was fun. It was, it was great to get out of oil and gas for a while, see the other side of the world. Um, but, um, you notice that as they're promoting people, they're promoting the really, really good workers, the people that are on time and, and work hard and get some good stuff done and they've got a brain. So so that's who they're promoting. And I kind of remember thinking back, thinking, you know, this is where this kind of like being in a hospital or um, medical world where you have a great doctor and they think, oh, you need to go to admin and mm-hmm. run and the hospital and run, run the, the hospital. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, one, do they have the skills for that? Two, you're taking away one of the best doctors that these patients really need to see. Right. And so I, it, it reminded me of that on a different scale. And so. As I see this happening and, you know, us trying to get a safety culture into this manufacturing world, I realized that without leadership training, there's no way we're going to get a good safety culture. There's just no way because, you know, you have safety coming from top down. You have safety coming from bottom up. And it's those middle managers that make or break safety. They just Mm -hmm. make or break it because if they're not spreading the word down of what needs to be done or listening to their people to, Hey, we need a change in procedure or whatever. There's no way that we're going to win. There's just no way we're going to get people hurt. So that's when I just said, okay, timeout, timeout. Let me put together leadership training and give these people and show them that they're empowered, show them how to be a leader. And so we did like, um, two weeks of leadership training, one week, well, actually four weeks, one week. And then, you know, a month or two goes by another week, Mm -hmm. month or two goes by another week. And we got people through four weeks of leadership training and our safety numbers improved dramatically because then they felt empowered. And I think a good leader really can identify, cares, figures out how to do things differently, steps in, stops work when need be, et cetera. And a poor leader. And I shouldn't say really a poor leader, but one who doesn't feel as confident as that just looks the other way, right? Because they don't want to get involved. I mean, they, this person who's doing something wrong was their coworker just, you know, a week ago right. and now I'm his boss. And, you know, so that's, that's tough. So, um, yeah, so I put together a bunch of leadership training and it really, really helped the culture. How did you guys transition? You know, one of the things we always talk about is <clears throat> traditionally safety was always the add on program. It's dug in the corner and, and boss going, Doug, are we good? Yep, we're good. All right, get back to work, right? Just whatever we got to do to stay working and, and mm-hmm. continuing to produce and revenue. And, and you know, our push has always been, you know, the safety person has to be a leader in the company. They can't just be the person in the corner making sure the posters are up exactly. and then everybody giving a thumbs up or, uh-uh, we, we have an incident or right. no yeah. incidents for 30 days, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the tracker is we have mm-hmm. up on the door. How did you guys bridge that gap getting – I understand the leadership training at, at all levels. How did you pull the safety person into a leadership role or, or were you even able to at that point? Yeah, we were. We Well, you know, I've been in companies where where it is the thumbs up, thumbs down, here are the numbers, you know, and that does not ever work. Um, so I think in the, well, in those situations, what I did was all you have to do is put the numbers, the financial numbers, if they, if they, you know, it's like trying to reach people. You have to, you have to reach them what, you know, what hurts or what they are excited about or mm-hmm. whatever, right? You have to know who you're talking to. 
So in a couple instances, I know it's financial financial issues and I know what's going to get them excited. And so you put together the numbers of workers comp and of man days out and of hard to hire people because, you know, we've got a bad safety record, et cetera, et cetera. And you throw that out at them and you show them what, what could be done and how much they could save. You know, that mm-hmm. that's an easy win when you can put mm-hmm. the numbers together. That's an easy win. To speak their language. That's yeah. something he talks about all the time is depending on who you're communicating to, they want to hear something different. Right. They care differently about right. the same subject matter, but right. their perspective is different, which is really interesting. Right. And, you know, that's funny you say that because in my leadership training, I always talk about that. You know, I'm a mom and have two kids, a male and a female. The male was first born. Um, when I tried to discipline him, as a kid, and this is where I think I learned a lot of leadership skills mm-hmm. because no when doubt. I disciplined him as a kid, he was so sensitive that all I had to do was look at him and show a sign of disappointment. And I mean, he put himself in timeout and he was bawling <laughs> and he just felt so badly. That's all I had to do. Mm-hmm. When then my daughter comes along and I, she wouldn't, she wouldn't bud. She didn't care what I felt. She didn't care. She just was going to move on, you know? And so it took a lot more disciplining to her, a lot more talking and being angry and, you know, showing her what she did and all that in order for her to change her behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just through that, I mean, and they're both my blood, you know, Mm -hmm. but they have such different personalities that just through that, you realize in talking with executives or talking to line plant workers, it, you know, it's a very, you have to know who they are and what's going to get them to change their behaviors. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel good because I have a 14 year old daughter and I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You guys can do a little briefing on that. my head around it at all. He's in the 14, 10 year old uh, phase where that we've been through, although I, I've never had it. I don't have a daughter, you know, but as you said, employees are very much like that. And, and I think it's easy to equate parenting to leading slash managing Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think those are skills that people ignore. They have those skills or maybe they don't. Maybe they don't do well as parents, but it's very similar in my opinion. It is. Know. And when you can take the skills you've learned from parenting into the workforce and go, oh, okay. So, you know, I used to, back at Mark West, I had staff meetings and I knew that one person who was going to walk in is going to hijack my meeting. She just is. She's just going to hijack it. She needed some attention, right? So every time she walked in, I would say, oh, hey, wow, I love that outfit or I love those shoes or what you did yesterday was great. You know, thanks for doing that. And then it was all good, right? Mm-hmm. And then another one, every time he walked in, I had to go, I love you so much. And he would say, I love you too. And then he was all good, right? So you just have mm-hmm. to know your people to get them all working at 100% and together. But it's interesting that you would give them that affirmation before the meeting started so they didn't derail the meeting. That's interesting. I like that. And even, you know, sitting at the executive table, knowing this is my idea, but there's a couple people in there that have to have it their idea. Mm-hmm. So you just keep feeding. You just mm-hmm. keep sure. feeding little hints. Well, what, you know what, something like this or some, if we do something like a, and if we do something like B and if we do something like C and then they get the big picture and they're like, I got it. Here's what we do. And you walk out <laughs> with a big smile on your face. You're like, well, I won. Yeah. <laughs> but that is the battle. And at the end of the day, it's just whatever you got to do to get, get the job done and exactly. keep the train moving. And it's, it's like, it's just classic motivation. Some people just need to feel like they're on the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And some people need to be in charge of something. So you just put them in charge of anything. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they're cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, whatever. That's, you know, exactly you're in charge right. of paper towels, Doug. Go for it. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, you know, like, you know, but but the point is, it's like you, you have to, you have to, there's there's a motive behind how they're acting. Right. And as soon as you tap into that, it just diffuses yes. everything. And quickly. Don't you find that same thing with with cha- like going into a company and changing the culture, the safety culture, that's turning around a huge ship, mm-hmm. a huge ship. And if you think about that, in fact, I was just learning about this, you know, like turning around a huge ship takes an enormous rudder. Well, how are we going to move that rudder? It's a tiny little rudder that moves that big rudder, mm-hmm. right? So the little tiny things are super important mm-hmm. and to, to turn that ship around. And so some people need to see graphic pictures of what could happen. Mm-hmm. That's how they learn. And that's why the they're driver's ed approach. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. That's why they're never going to put their hand in there even for a split second because they've that picture is going to come up in their mind before they do that. You know, some just need to be trained and others, you know, they want to read about it, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that is what I felt like when, when we were changing the culture around in the, in the um, manufacturing, it was a lot of the little things and a lot of how do these people learn? How do you take a, what I say cowboy, even though that's a negative term and I don't mean that, but um, you know, some cowboys that are just like going to do their own thing, no matter what anybody says, I don't need to follow procedures. You know, what if we gave them some accountability, you know, and then, you know, you see them kind of start coming back. Make it their program. Yes. It's yours. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So I want to ask you, you know, having been in organizations where where you're having to turn the ship, we'll get questions. We'll talk to safety councils and whatnot. I always get the question, well, Aaron, how how long is this going to take? And I'm always like, hey, man, it, you've got 50 years of entrenchment you're trying to fix. It's not going to be overnight. Right. You know, how would you answer? I have something. Look, it's going to take time. I can't give you a timeline, but let's just think about how long it's been this way. Right. And, and you want it fixed yesterday. It's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah, I've had that question, too. And I always say, OK, so I'm going to put together the timeline and you can help fill in the dates. Right. But you put in the metrics like I want to have monthly all employee meetings and you, Mr. President need to give the safety talk, Mm -hmm. you know? So when do we get to start that? And then, you know, the next one is um, I've got this huge safety training calendar. When are you, Mr. President going to allow me to have an hour a week with every single employee? Right. You know, stuff like that. And just put together the whole timeline. Yeah. Milestones. And we can get here and we can get there and we can get there, but, Fill in the dates, you know, is, can I, can I do all of this in the next six months or are you going to make me, you know, wait it out because of production and everything that they're all concerned about, you know, which is valid. I get totally it. Why, I mean, the company doesn't exist if you're not totally producing, valid. you know, I did hear though, the safety culture part of it. Um, I don't, I don't know if it was Simon Sinek or what, but it just so resonated with me in the safety side of things is that the safety culture can be defined as the most extraordinary or most you know, out there behavior that's allowed, Mm -hmm. you know, like the worst Mm -hmm. behavior allowed that defines your safety Mm -hmm. culture. So when you start not allowing those and bringing them back in and and holding people accountable and follow the policies and procedures and don't take the shortcuts and la la la, you know, all of that. And you start bringing it back in. I think that's when like that ship gets to turn Mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah, what whatever the worst behavior is you permit is what you're going to get ultimately. I mean, if you allow that kind of yeah. Deviation. Which goes back to your, your cowboy comment. You know, there's, there's always that one person or, or usually it's, it's 
the senior, the, the guy, the girl's been there 25 years and, and you'll come out and say, okay, we're going to do this. And they all turn and look at that person. Like, are we really going to do this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. That happens. All yeah, the Cause time. if they're not going to do it, then the rest of us aren't going to do it. Yep. yep. It's interesting. And when you can win that person over that cowboy, man, you have just made your life so much easier. That's who I focus in on. Like the person they all look to that's, I'm like zooming in on that mm-hmm. one and going, okay, there's my target. There's mm-hmm. my target. Yeah. Yep. That's, I've had other people that are high performers say that same thing. You want to identify that problem child and then somehow enlist them, you know, right? get them on your side, either through empowerment or whatever, give them a purpose, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. most people yeah, are afraid like, of that person. Most rolling, people avoid right, that person. That's exactly right. They're too, yeah, they're too afraid to come mm-hmm. head on with that yeah. person. But, you know, we were instilling um, technology that was going to feel a little big brother, you know, like a, like maybe a little bit intrusive on their rights, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. their employment or whatever. And, um, that, that's exactly who I looked at. I was like, we need that cowboy mm-hmm. to be the first one that says, I want to step up and do this, you know, and can, sure can you enough, talk a little about technology and, and how, I mean, you've been doing this, um, Quite forever. a long time. Forever. Yeah, since you were 14 <laughs> or something. Or something. So how, has, how have you utilized technology effectively? Have you have you been able to incorporate technology we have. in a useful I mean, way? There's, there's technology that now almost everybody has that we instilled, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, the easy one is like the um, GPS in the cars, and, mm-hmm. and I'm blanking the GeoTab, mm-hmm. right? GeoTab in the vehicles. It helped us tremendously when we got that instilled because – we know if they're wearing a seatbelt, we know harsh cornering, we know, um, heavy braking, we know, you know, so many things. And so we put together, Hey, you get your own score every week and everybody that gets in 95 and above goes in a raffle and you get, you know, hundred bucks on your check. So you want to drive correctly. Yeah. Right? Be conscious of this, be conscious of this mm-hmm. as well as you can point out really driving is one of the most hazardous things we do here. And, you Definitely. know, in a lot of jobs, and there, they were in the trucks all the time. That was their job. So um, once we could establish what their driving habits were, then we could coach. You know what? You're getting a really low score. We're worried about you. We need to keep you safe. You know, let me coach you, blah, blah, blah. And if they got three weeks in a row, then, you know, either have to have somebody drive with you or we can't have you because right. you're a hazard, mm-hmm. you know? Um yeah. So there's that uh, technology, mm-hmm. which really helped us tremendously. But I know a lot of companies have that um, now. But then there's this other one that I thought was, um, it was awesome. I think it's called Ready Check. And, you know, now with weed or pot being legal in so many states, how do you ensure that your employees aren't under the influence when they come into work? Operating right? that heavy equipment. <laughs> right. right. Because your testing <laughs> right. is... You could, they could test positive and it was, you know, three weeks ago on a Saturday night, you know, mm-hmm. that they used pot. Mm-hmm. So, so that one was uh, kind of a head scratcher and we came upon this company um, that I thought it was brilliant um, until we get the testing to tell us when they did, you know, when this person smoked weed or mm-hmm. ate an edible or whatever, until we get that, we need something else in plan, you know? So our plan was this company who came up with, um, an iPad type application of which they use for kids in high school or kids in, in college for concussions. So 
pre any concussion, they have to do like four different tests and you do them quickly and you have to match things and colors and shapes mm-hmm. and that. And you get, you know, after you do it, maybe 10 times, you're in a normal bandwidth, right? So you're at this normal for this age for, you know, this, you are right here. You're right in the normality. But if you're under the influence, you're not in that normality anymore. So every day when you come in, you clock in, you pick up your iPad, you do your four tests and you move on. However, if you don't, if you don't pass, meaning you're not in your normal bandwidth, um, I got notified, right? So like somebody on the safety team gets notified, Hey, we had somebody not do it. So you go out and tap them and you go, just try it one more time. You know, it just, mm-hmm. you're off, you know, mm-hmm. you, you never know. Maybe they didn't get a good night's sleep. Maybe they fought other... with their spouse. Maybe, sure. you know, you don't know what's occupying their mind. So mm-hmm. you kind of calm them down and you, um, you know, talk them through it and then they get to try it again. Usually then they pass, but if they don't, then you go, you know what? Gosh, dang it. I'm going to have to go. It's his reasonable suspicion. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to take you in for a drug test. And then, you know what, if it shows positive, even though it was three weeks ago last Saturday, you can't do anything about it except follow your drug and alcohol policy, mm-hmm. you know? What does your policy then dictate at that point? They just don't drive for the day or is that like an automatic termination type thing? Or I mean, this, I'm assuming this is the one that they found a little bit intrusive. It, it, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Say, this one was because intrusive. Because this is kind of a, mm-hmm. an interesting. Yeah, right. We really had great people working there, great, great people. And so maybe only once or twice did we have this. Um, and so our drug policy was once and you're out. So, okay. yeah, because they're operating. I mean, they could cut an arm off in a split second, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we, we had to take every precaution. Mm-hmm. So that was a useful program. I mean, so useful. I thought it? it was so cool and it was fun. It was kind of fun to go out there and do it and try to beat mm-hmm. your score. And- mm-hmm. I, <laughs> right. I know that they, as you said, they do that in high school sports for concussion mm-hmm. protocol, sure. things like that. Kent used to get concussed every week. My <laughs> oldest son, skateboarder, he was the skateboarder who probably Bounce, bouncing off a tree, semi concussed <laughs> state his entire life, probably, you know, but he had a few and he could not pass. I mean, yeah. they held him out for two or three weeks before he could go back and, yeah. You know, yeah. so I, I think there is some validity to the testing. It's obvious that you, when you're outside of that norm that you've established that there's something going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pot, yeah, so cough syrup, cool. whatever yeah. it is. <laughs> Codeine cough syrup or whatever. But that's interesting. I, I'm really fascinated by the evolution of technology in what we do because you are retired. I kind of. someday hope to retire, but I think... I am seeing technologies come into the, the profession, and I think some of them are actually useful. Some of them are so just cool. fluff, you know. Yeah, right. But some of them are going to be kind of useful. Yes. I think that's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the way to go here and now, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, there's there's still training needs. There's still communication needs. If something happens, you know, let's let the whole company know quickly so that, you know, we can put some processes in place, et cetera. But the technology and making it fun is so beyond what we thought of in the eighties, you know, but like even, even putting together a game so that when you come in and you have to, or a visitor comes in and you need to give them the whole spiel, you know, about here's our safety Mm -hmm. and here's our policies and here's what what you have to, what you can do and can't do to put it in a game and give them an iPad. And Mm -hmm. then, then they know it instead. They're, you know, listening, going, really, 
really? PowerPoint, really? click. Yeah. Right? Click. Yeah. Oh, or yeah. even a video you have to watch while oh, you're yeah. in the lobby, you know, and you're like. <laughs> I've done that many times. <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I don't think Some of you talk about virtual reality and doing a lot of training with VR, you know, so, so you can actually, like, if you're doing some high criticality process or something, you can actually do it in three dimension before you go out and do it yeah. in reality. Yeah, that's, that I think cool. that's cool. And, and, you know, as you know, being Air Force or whatever, you know, my son, Brett, who's in the Air, Air Force, um, they have so many Sims that is just that, you know, they sit and they fly and they land and they do whatever they do in their jets um, in a simulator. And you have to pass, you know, hundreds of simulator tests to keep moving on, Before right? You actually, well, while you are also, you are, you're also doing the real flights, but then you've got a sim and then you go a real flight and then you have a sim and, you mm -hmm. know, and it's just, mm -hmm. it's amazing. And why we're not bringing that into the either manufacturing or oil and gas or whatever is, you know, I think it, it kind of lags, but I think it's fantastic. Well, there, there's there's a cost piece to you. The government has the blank check, and they can, and it's a proficiency piece. Like it's much cheaper to sit in a sim than fly the actual plane. So, mm -hmm. you know, you can yes. augment proficiency yes. with the simulations in the in the VR, and not spend a bazillion dollars flying the, the jet. Technology of being able to sit in that sim is crazy. It's amazing. Have you been in it? I have. have you been allowed I, to get I, it? I crashed every time. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> There are there are those technologies, you know, that it slowly makes its way out, you know, once it gets developed. And I know like NASCAR starting to use some of that technologies because mm -hmm. they have sims and uh, they get more track time without having to uh, and they get wreck a lot cars of too. and they get a lot of money. Um, but don't you think it's like VR comes around, it's going to get less and less and less expensive. And I just think like anything that, else. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think right. that we should be looking at this stuff now as far as, you know, agree. I think sure. progressive minded companies would be using that now because. Yes. It is available to some degree. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I think, you know, the initial barrier to entry, that price tags, what scares a lot of companies. It's like, okay, where are we going to spend our money? Especially in the economy right now. Like you and I both know that when the economy is tight, what gets cut first? Training gets yep. cut first. Yep. Always. You know, it doesn't make money. It's not a revenue generating mm -hmm. source. So, and that's unfortunate. And then, you know, the high price tag of technology is scary anyway. So it's like, okay, you're always fighting that. Mm -hmm. But it does take a, a company willing to spend a little money. And to realize now you're going to get ahead. Like you, you have to look. You have to go. You can't game. be short sighted. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one to incorporate that stuff. Mm -hmm. I like that. Do you? I don't even have, have any idea what time it is. Oh, we got plenty of time. <laughs> what time? I don't know. Anything? Any? I mean, you you are somewhat removing yourself from the day to day practice of EHS management. Mm -hmm. um, you might dabble a little bit in some. EHS yeah. leadership consulting, mm -hmm. which I think is fantastic because I, I know that pulling that amount of experience out of the the workplace is really, un yeah. you know, difficult. So you have to, you'll have to yeah. do something. Yeah. Well, I will have to do something, but you've <laughs> no, also, just, yeah, that's what I'm really looking forward to is just being able to, um, you know, speak mm -hmm. or train or mm -hmm. just you know coach, find that coach, coach yeah. leaders i mean that's right. what aaron does right you know i i set it up he goes and does the coaching <laughs> you know um i think that is really a critical and oftentimes missing piece you alluded to it you talk about it all the time you know we assign people these different positions of authority and the frontline supervisors are pulled in so many different directions yes and they don't they're not really equipped to be leaders. Right. You know, exactly right. And, and so I think that is the missing piece of most of this. Yeah. 
Although I will say when I, when I was at the manufacturing and I said, okay, stop, everybody stop. We're, we're, we're promoting these people. We're setting them up for failure is what we're doing because Mm -hmm. we're not training them and we're not telling them how to do this job, et cetera. So I stopped everything and I was able to get my four weeks of training of leadership, et cetera, in. And so then you know, no good deed goes unpunished. So then they gave me HR. Sure. <laughs> right. Of course they did. You know what? Oh, why worst. don't you have HR? Oh, okay. That's, why <laughs> That's totally the worst. That's I've, so. Un- I find funny, like you go on LinkedIn and, and there's people out there championing themselves as I, I train corporate leaders, I coach corporate leaders. And it's so funny because the focus always seems to be the top level, you know, the E-suite and, you know, I help executives uh, be better versions of and lead companies, and nobody seems to focus on that mid-level management, mm-hmm. and that that and 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 really that's where the money is, and and that's where you make or break a company. And yeah. it always seems like the focus is up here, and all these people get all this great training, and because you know because that's the sexy stuff, you know. I want to, you know, I want to train the COOs and the CEOs, but nobody wants to seem to train the frontline supervisors. Mm-hmm. They don't want to get down in the weeds amongst the peasants exactly. and, and give them the training, which is where all the work's being done. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And those COOs, no matter how much you train the CEO, COO, it, it's not getting to right. the people yeah. that need to have it. Right. right. I think, you know, we have talked about that. And I think the future is some type of frontline supervisor boot camp where you equip them, you know, in a, in a company specific fashion, you can equip them not only to be managers but leaders as well you know they, they need to have certain skills to be able to manage but they definitely need to have skills in order to lead and in order to make this safety and health thing that we do effective you know yeah. Yeah. um are you you mentioned you were reading are, are you reading something or any what have you been reading lately do you read stuff professionally or are you off that now i <clears throat> i well i've just read an entire book on enterprise risk management which i'm not going to suggest to anybody <laughs> But just um, out of curiosity or no, because in my past job, I was VP of risk. So I had mm-hmm. environmental health and safety plus all the risks. So setting up an environmental risk management system, mm-hmm. you know, and starting from ground up. So I just wanted to make sure we were going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So I did read that, but um, I'm just, and did it have any helpful in- information? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In it, it was, it was useful. It was really great. Yeah. It was, just... yeah, it was helpful. Very helpful to see how other companies did things and what failed and what worked and that kind of stuff. So it was mm-hmm. it was good. But honestly, I'm a podcast junkie. Like I learn almost everything on podcasts anymore mm-hmm. today. I do too. I love them. I, I well, I and drive a lot and I listen to podcasts all yeah. the yes, time. Me too. I wanted to ask a question if I could. You mentioned earlier uh, that the job you had where it was just chaotic and and you never slept. You know, teaching at the university, uh, I'll get our students. You know, they graduate. They got this diploma. They see somebody like you. I'm like, that's where I'm going to be. But they have this twisted reality that they're going to get there in five years. And, and they don't understand. They, they see someone like you and go, that's where I want to go. But they don't see the, the 90 hours a week yes. behind it. And how do you explain that? Like, it, you know, it's easy for me to say, hey, you got to shut up and color for a while. Yeah. But yeah. nobody wants to hear that. Well, yeah. I, I have a degree and I should have upward mobility. And I'm like, those words shouldn't come out of your mouth for five <laughs> right. years. Right. But, you know, we see in the job market, you know, job hopping is quite common now. Right now, well, for sure. If I don't, well, and if I don't get the promotion I want or I don't see upward mobility, I'm moving. Then it's like, okay, well, if you're not willing to invest in the company, how are they supposed to invest in you? And then you see someone, hear someone like you say, I know I didn't sleep for five years. Mm-hmm. Like that level of work needs to go into mm-hmm. those positions, but nobody wants to really talk about that or 
you know, they like the idea of being there, but doing what it takes to get there is, is a different reality. Right. So I think there's two things in there that we really all need to learn from. And one is while you're in college, there isn't anybody like you that I had anyway saying, hey, going from college and going to the real world is difficult. It's very difficult. You might hate your first job. It's not going to be what you expect. You don't get to be up there right away. So let's have a little bit of a discussion like that in school and talk to our students about this, right? I just, yesterday I heard this from my daughter. And so um, I have so many friends who now have kids who've just left college, went into their first job and they hate it. So let's have that discussion. Second of all, when you go into that job, why don't we have great leaders who make it fun and make it exciting and make it energetic to where these kids do want to stick around for five years mm-hmm. because not only are they getting paid, paid well, they're, they have a job where they're enjoying it. They like getting up in the morning and coming in. They're challenged. They're getting rewarded. They're, you know, just going back to the whole, you know, being a mother and all of that and learning who your kids are. There's a lot of kids out there that need rewarding every single day. Oh, yeah. Verbally. <clears throat> right. Or with a, you know, a parking place, whatever. But know who they are and be a good leader and get these people excited to come in and work for you and, and stick around because you can show them the vision. I think a lot of leaders don't show the vision of where we're going and where we're headed. Mm -hmm. And this is why I need you. And this is why this little thing you're working on is so important to this company. I think that's that's a a generational, there's more generations in workforce than ever right now. And, And it's a generational you know, even the military's changed from when I first started to probably when your son is now. Yeah. You know, when I first got in, it was salute smartly and soldier on and don't question anything. And now to your point, it's, well, let's explain the why. And I need, if I'm not checked, before it was, if you're not checking in with somebody, I mean, everything was fine. And now if you're not checking in with them, now it's like something's wrong because yes. I'm not talking to them every day. And, you know, our generation going into the workforce, it was, well, you got your paycheck, that's your reward. You're here to work and, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's really different now. And, and, and that's, I think that's a lot of leaders are struggling yes. w- with that aspect because they weren't brought up that way. Absolutely. Now they're having a 180. Absolutely. I will say I was at this, um, some symposium or networking, um, deal that, uh, w- was one that I was a keynote speaker. So, uh, I listened to one of the talks and it was two female millennials who came in and explained what their generation is about. And I know now we're even past the millennials and going on, you know, to the next generation, but it was the most interesting and eye opening talk I've ever heard in my life because they just brought up things like, you know, we're not ruining the diamond industry. We don't have the money. You know, we're paying back student loans. The average student, millennial student that came out of college owes like 38,000. The average owes $38,000. You know, yeah, we're living with our parents for that reason. Mm -hmm. You know, stuff like that, that you're just like, I mean, and that was just like three of a hundred things they were talking Mm -hmm. about, but it was so eye opening and it made me such a better leader because now I get it. Mm -hmm. I understand these people and it's not the same generation I grew up in. I mean, I watched my dad work, you know, 15 hours a day and never bitched and brought Mm -hmm. home a paycheck and raised a huge family and, you know, was, was awesome, but you didn't jump ship, you know, um, you just 
dug through as far as you could go, you and know. And hope the pension was there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Still there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's so true. So anyway, it just was really eye-opening. But yeah, every every generation is just a little bit different. And and every generation brings a lot to the table, brings a lot. So, mm-hmm. you know. We just need to know how to tap in. We that, need to probably. know how to tap in. And, and they're yeah. smart. I mean, they are yeah. really, really smart. I, I know that um, both of my boys are smarter than me. Your, your kids are way smarter than me remarkable your kids are going to be that i mean it's just it's just the way it is and Mm -hmm. so but they need to be led differently than we were Mm -hmm. you know get your ass to work and shut up was kind of the mantra that i was raised under yep but you know so how do you what do you feel about rolling up on a hard stop here man i know there's another group so you're going to have to come back. Oh, I, would I know sure. you'll drive from here to back to Chicago, <laughs> back to, to Chicago. Denver in this big kind of this boomerang shaped uh, travel pattern. So um, we are up against time, and I know there's there's another group coming. And we in have here. seniority at this point. We well, can you would push, push, so, we can push. We have been the next here a long group. time, but <laughs> this has been fascinating, and I would Thanks. love it if you could come back sometime. Oh, I would so. So love if you're going to pass through town again, okay. let us know, and we, you know, Aaron sure. can ask his question that he was formulating as we were going so that we're sure to get it <laughs> yes fantastic this this has been really a treat and uh fascinating stuff and Thanks. thank you for what you taught me um <laughs> i don't actually exhibit any of those traits like tenacity fearlessness so those kind of oh, things so but i got to see them and what they looked like and so i recognize them when i see them now no, so once so the camera sure stops i want to find out what doug was like as an employee oh <laughs> hard working dedicated <laughs> usually under my desk so <laughs> Have a safe trip. Thanks. It's Thanks. great to see you. So great to see you. Good guys. to see you, buddy. Awesome. Um, thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next week. Later. A Huda Media Production.